Well, I'd like to begin this morning uh, with offering a word of congratulations to our, our many seniors, and not just the seniors, but their families. Uh, seniors, after all, if it wasn't for your families, you wouldn't be getting from place to place that you needed to be when you were little. Grown up, the encouragement, the reminder to get to bed on time, to get your homework done, eat your vegetables, and pack your lunch, so forth and so on, right? So, families, congratulations. Um, it's a special moment in life. It's, it's um, obviously, we also want to say thank you to all the teachers and administrators as well, uh, bus drivers, uh, those that work in the lunch, playground, I almost used a different word, uh, superintendent type people at the playground. What do you call them? Anyway, um, they blow the whistle at you and make you stand on the corner, right? Um, we're so thankful for all of you who have taken care of our kids and help them get from one spot to the next. I will admit, as a parent, there's a certain point in time when I say, I don't know, you're going to have to ask your teacher. So that's usually around first grade. But after that, uh, I'm very thankful for uh, our teachers. Um, it is a special moment in life, graduation is. It's the completion of one stage in life, moving on to that next stage in life. And it is uh, worthy of, of being honored. Um, but the, one of the nice things about graduation is that I feel it sort of levels the playing field. Now, now what I mean by that, I'll just, I'm, I'm, this might be a stretch here, but is, is this. Although we have valedictorians, we have people with high honors, and they get the cords that they get to wear, and, and uh, they're special, and they are so worth recognizing. Uh, we actually uh, have some uh, students in, in our church who are valedictorians and, and have gotten honors, and it's, it, it's a special thing, right? But when you look out in that, that mass of students, typically you just see one color. All gowns and, and their caps, and you see that one color. And, and I like that because I, therefore, cannot judge certain kids on what they're wearing, their hair, or how they look, because all I see is a mass of students in one color, gowns and caps. Does that make sense? Because what we tend to do is we look out and we see people and we judge them. Oh, look at them. I bet they, you know, and we start doing all that. Uh, it's true that although the students, they know their peers, they know the person sitting next to them, behind them, around them, they know... And they can point out the kid who morally made a bad choice, who flunked a, a test or a quiz, who skipped school or cheated or has a, a lower GPA than them. The students know, right? And they can point that out. But as an adult, when I go to a ceremony and I see that, I don't know. So what I'm saying is the, the playing field has been leveled. And all as I look out and I see a bunch of young people who have made it. And they're graduating. They're moving on in the next stage of life. Regardless of their past, they're moving on. And it's like it's like in that single moment of graduation, their past is forgotten and forgiven. Oh, that D you got on that chemistry quiz. Oh, that, that day you messed up in school. It's all been forgiven. Here's your diploma. Congratulations. You're moving on to the next stage of life. And, and that's why I, I think when I look at that, um, I, I admire that and I appreciate that. It reminds me a little bit of our spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father. In that moment of salvation, our, our past being forgiven, all of our things that separate us apart, and when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, He gives us His grace and mercy and we have that salvation. Salvation is nothing I've earned like a grade to get my diploma. Salvation was given to me freely 
upon my confession and my faith. And it's like I walk across that stage and God says, welcome to my family. He doesn't hand me a diploma, so to say, but if you hopefully understand what I'm trying to, to express here, being saved, um, now living in the, what I would call time of spiritual transformation. Um, I said a couple weeks ago, and I'll say it again, we are his masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. If you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you've placed your faith in him, you are now living a new life in Christ, spiritually being transformed. You are his masterpiece, created with purpose. And you are living a life now of service for his glory. It's a new stage of life. It's like you've walked across that stage and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now go live for me and live that transformed life. Well, with that being said, there's probably moments, though, that you've probably have walked off the stage like that high school graduate and said, but I didn't feel worthy. I'm still thinking about what I did in my past, or I'm still not sure what I'm going to do with the future. And you sort of weigh the balance of walking up that stage with a question mark up there, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a story in the book of John. And um, John chapter 21, it's one of my favorite books I love to preach out of. And of course, I skipped all 20 chapters just to go to the last one. Uh, this is not a sermon series we're in. This is just a few messages that God's laid upon my heart that I wanted to preach um, uh, at the appropriate time. And hopefully this is an appropriate time. Um, but John chapter 21. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you need a Bible? Raise your hand. We will bring one to you. John chapter 21, last chapter of the fourth gospel. We're going to pick this up, very first verse, and we will read all the way through verse 14. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, the, the beach but they couldn't see uh, who he was. So he called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. So they did, and they couldn't draw on the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and swam ashore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 300 feet. When they got there, they saw a charcoal fire was burning and fish were frying over it, and there was bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There were, I love this, very specific, 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And no one dared ask him if he really was the Lord, because they were sure of it. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. 
Now, there's some quick observations I want to just make about this story as we go along. Um, and hopefully as we read through this and find these observations, um, you'll take note and say, oh, yes, 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 we'll get to that. Um, but I want to start with this, and it's actually a separate verse in Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus says, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's exactly what happened the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. His disciples that were together with him were all a bunch of buddies. They'd been bonded together for three years. All of a sudden, boom, they took off. They ran out of fear, out of not knowing what was going to happen next. They were anxious. They were thought, we're going to get arrested too. We'll probably be in prison. We might be beaten. I don't know. They ran. They all scattered. Jesus foretold it. He told them, he says, tonight it's going to happen. You're all going to scatter. Oh, no, we won't. No, we won't do that. Right? But it happened. They hid. They, in fear of being arrested and being in prison, they, they hid. But here's the thing. Soon after the crucifixion, Soon after the resurrection, Jesus meets them. He meets them behind closed doors and he reassures them he is alive and well. It's an incredible story, the resurrection, what happens next. And, and Jesus talks to them, but then Jesus takes off again. And the disciples are probably at this point in time sitting around thinking, because once they had scattered, now they're back together. And now Jesus is here, now he's gone. What do we do? What do we do? Well, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. Anybody want to go along? You know, seven of them total decide to go fishing. It's, it's like one of those things, like after graduation, the seniors, they walk across, they get their diplomas, they have their open houses, and the next week, and they're like, what do we do now? I don't know, summer jobs? I don't know, let's just do what we've always done. College work, that might be down the road in a couple of months. Going into the military, that might be down the road a couple of weeks. But for now, what do we do? What we're used to doing. Let's go fishing. All right. So the disciples, several of them, include Peter, who denied Jesus, Thomas, who doubted Jesus, and five other disciples who were also imperfect, right? It's a good picture of the church. Followers of Jesus, various backgrounds, normal people with all the failings that we are heir to. And where do we find them? Back in the fishing boat where they began three years earlier. Think about this. This is where it all started. The disciples were working on their own three years earlier, fishing through the night, catching nothing. Jesus comes up to them, says, can I get in your boat while I teach all these people? Yeah, absolutely. Gets in the boat, teaches from the boat, and he says, hey, why don't we cast off and go fishing? And the disciples are like, we've fished all night. We've caught nothing, but we'll go out for you. And they go out into the water, and we read this in, in the book of Luke chapter 5. And as they're out there, Jesus says, why don't you throw your nets over here? And they cast their nets out into the water. And they catch so many fish that their boats begin to sink. And it's at that point in time, they look at Jesus and say, you are the Lord. And we'll follow you wherever they are. And they follow Jesus for the next three years. That's how it started. Now, where are we at? We're back in the boats again. Fishing, catching nothing. Jesus... This is where we hear another story. Jesus is on the beach as we start reading this, and he's watching them. Can you imagine this? I mean, just seeing that scene, there's Jesus on the beach like, why are they back out there? I, that's what they were doing three years ago. 
But isn't it funny that when we mess up in our lives or we're fearful spiritually where we're at in our lives, we just revert back to where we were? Well, we find another truth here as we're reading this, as Jesus is standing on the beach, and that is this. Our Savior sees us where we're at. Jesus sees us where we're at. He sees us in our moments of joy. He sees us in our moments of struggles. No matter where you're at right now, thinking about what happened last yesterday, it's, oh, man, this was so tough, or this is so exciting. Guess what? Jesus sees it. Just like as he's on that beach looking out in 300 feet away, 100 yards away from one end of the football field to the other end of the football field. Just trying to help you relate here, okay? He sees you. He sees what's going on. And he calls out. Uh, it's an incredible moment. It's like he, he calls out in our weakness. When these disciples are catching nothing and they're just failing, Jesus calls out. Now let me ask you this. When we're struggling, when we're failing, shouldn't we be the ones calling out to Jesus? But yet in this moment when they're struggling, Jesus is calling out to them. And I think a lot of times when we're struggling, when we're hurting, Jesus is calling out. We're just not hearing him. We're not recognizing him. But he's calling. He seeks us. Let that sink in. Bad day, Jesus sees it. And he's calling you. Did a job and it failed? Jesus saw it. And he's calling out to you. Hang in there. You went to cook something or bake something and you started a fire in the oven? He saw it. He knows how to make good fish and bread. He may not send it to you right in that moment, but he still loves you and he'll let you try it again, right? He sees simple things like that. But he calls out to his disciples here, telling them where to cast their nets. Hey, why don't you cast them on the right side? And they're like, we've been on the right, we've been on the left. Where else have we? All right. So they throw them over, right? They obeyed. They listened to a voice of a stranger. At that point in time, they think it's a stranger. They obeyed, they throw their nets over. And what happens? They catch 153 fish. Now, I'd written in my Bible many years ago that 153 fish, one of the commentators said it symbolizes that uh, all, one day all men of all nations will be gathered together to Jesus. This is just symbolizing all these nations. Of course, people have different ideas what that is. But the, the amazing thing is this. They obeyed is what we need to hear. And they put the nets down. And they saw the blessings. It was then at that point in time, their memories jogged. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You remember three years ago, we were fishing and we were catching nothing? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then Jesus stepped in. Yeah, he stepped into our boat. And you remember we couldn't even bring the, the fish in? It was our boat started sinking. Yeah, guys. Yeah, Jesus. Yep. And what does Peter do? I love what Peter does. He puts on his tunic, okay? So you take it off to, to fish and work, right? Guys get comfortable in boats, I guess. Okay? Well, he puts on his tunic, on his rope, and he jumps into water swimming. I'm thinking, you take off the rope to jump in and swim, but he puts it on and swims in. He's so excited to see Jesus. He swims the shore ahead of the boat. A hundred yards. He's at it, right? He wants to go see Jesus. They get to the shore, they're frying up some fish. They're eating bread. They're sitting around a campfire, laughing, talking with Jesus. It's a beautiful moment, right? Have you ever wondered, what are we supposed to do with our lives? What's next? I mean, for graduates, that's a lot of that's going on right now. What am I supposed to do next, right? But for everyone else, 
At every stage, it seems there's always a, what's next? What am I supposed to do with this job? What am I supposed to do with my relationship? What am I supposed to do down the road? Well, I believe Scripture is pretty clear that on our own, we struggle with trying to accomplish things, just like they struggled trying to fish on their own. But when they listened to what Jesus gave them in the direction and obeyed, obedience resulted in blessing. And my question is, how are we doing with that? Because here's the thing, there's always a what's next in our life. And we're always asking, what am I supposed to do next? Let me tell you right now, Jesus is always ready to offer you the next step, the advice. The question is, are we listening? A lot of times we sit to think, well, how come he isn't telling me anything? He's probably telling you, maybe you're just not hearing it. He always gives direction. And we just got to recognize and be obedient. And a lot of times we just aren't obedient. We know what we're supposed to do. We just don't do it. And yet we expect to be blessed. So as you read this story, we come to a lot of points of truth. Here's another point of truth. Some of us don't feel worthy to receive blessings, do we? I mean, the Christian life, although it's a discovery of how deep we are in sin and how big of a a need of a Savior we have, and that we're forgiven of our sins and we're given new life, we we get all that. We, We confess our sins to a holy God. He gives us a new life. He gives us His Spirit. But then we wonder, then we start messing up again in our failures. We sort of wonder, can Jesus still love me and forgive me? I keep asking for forgiveness, but I messed up again and I have to ask for forgiveness again. At some point in time, he can't use me anymore, right? I mean, is my sin so big? Is my mistakes so bad that I don't know if he can actually use me again? Look in the same chapter here, John chapter 21. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, replied Peter. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more, he asked the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was grieved that Jesus asked this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. How true is that? You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. That that exchange that goes on here, this is the amazing part of the story. They're sitting around eating and sharing. And Jesus says something amazing with Peter in sight of the other disciples. He doesn't pull Peter aside and say, hey, Peter, we need to talk about what happened when you denied me three times. You remember you said you would never deny me, but yet you did? You remember you said you, you love me more than all the other disciples, but then you denied me more than all the other disciples? He didn't pull Peter aside. He just said, Peter, guys, just listen in on this one. I, I, I've got someone to talk to Peter about, but you're all welcome to hear this. Simon, son of John... Do you love me more than these? And he starts off this, this converse, conversation, right? And, and the first thing is, is, is amazing here is that, did you notice that Jesus called him Simon, son of John? He didn't call him Peter. Because when they first met three years earlier, this is Simon, son of John. And he says, you no longer you're going to be called Simon. You're going to be called Peter. You're going to be a rock. 
But Jesus sort of uses the play on words here and he goes back to this. So Simon, son of John, he goes, goes back to that day when we first met. Remember when you didn't feel worthy to follow me? I'm going to take you back to that moment right now. Just reassure you that you are. And he calls him Simon. And then we see a play, another play on words. He goes, do you love me? Now, when I talk about this, we, we've noted this before. In English, we have one word for love. And we use it all the time, don't we? We, we, we love pizza, we love each other, we love our spouse, we love basketball, we love to run, we love our cat, well, we don't, we love our dog. Um, just kidding, all you cat lovers. We love you, not your cat. But anyway, um, we toss that word around a lot, okay? Um, we, we say it like, oh, I love you, and I love pizza. And it's like, well, which one do you love more? Well, if it's Coach Lambs, it's a toss. No, no, I love my wife more. Um, but we use that. You see what I'm saying? We just use that word love for everything, don't we? Well, in Greek, we know there's at least three words that were used throughout the Bible to describe love. Those three words was agape, phileo, and eros. Now, you've heard these words before, but let me just remind you real quick. Agape love is John 3:16 love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's agape love. That's God's love. First John 4, 8 says, God is love. It's the love of God. Unconditional. Love you no matter what. Sacrificial love. That's agape love. Everybody got that? Then there's the phileo love. It's brotherly love. as in Philadelphia. Brotherly love, right? It's human love expressing itself in friendship. It's more of a conditional love. I love you, but if you do that to me, I'm going to love you as much, right? That's phileo love. And then eros love is erotic love. It's physical love. So in this, as we're reading this, here's what I'm going to do. Dr. James Boyce, I was reading one of his commentaries about the use of love in this conversation. Because if you read through this and you see this in Greek, different words are used here. It's not the same word love that's used. Agape and phileo are used differently in the conversation. Jesus says agape love. Peter says phileo love. So let me, let me read this to you using what Dr. James Boyce did, and that is taking love and making it a percentage. Agape love is going to be 100% love. Can't get any better than that, okay? Phileo love is 60% love. We're just using an example here, okay? Everybody follow me? So agape is 100%. Phileo love is 60%. Just so you get a feeling of the kind of love being expressed in this conversation. So let me read this to you using those calculations. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me with 100% of love more than these? And Peter now realizing, oh, you know what? I denied Jesus in the courtyard, after just declaring in front of everybody that I love him more than anybody else, he humbly answers Jesus and says, yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you with a 60% love. He's not saying that he doesn't love Jesus. He loves Jesus. But he's not boasting about how much he loved him more than anybody else this time, like he did earlier the night he was arrested. He recognizes that he's a sinful man, but he still loves Jesus. So Jesus repeated the question again, this time without comparison. This time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me with 100% love? Yes, Lord, Peter added, you know I love you with 60% love. The third time Jesus is seeing that Peter feels limited in his love, says Peter. 
Simon, son of John, do you love me with a 60% love? Peter hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you with a 60% love. Does that put a little different as you read that scripture now? The conversation that was taking place, what Jesus was asking, where Peter felt about himself because he had messed up and he doesn't feel worthy of the love of God anymore. And Peter denied Jesus three times. And so he publicly affirmed, Jesus publicly affirms his love for Peter three times. Peter, you denied me three times. He doesn't come right out and say it, but they all know it. I just want to make sure everybody else around here hears that I love you 100% three times. And I know you don't feel like you can love me 100%. I'll meet you where you're at. But understand, my love for you is greater. Jesus' love had covered it all. And it wasn't cruel for him to do that in front of the others. It was necessary. It was necessary for Jesus to say, hey, everybody that's listening right now, I want you to know he, he did mess up. Just like Thomas doubted, and just like a lot of you scattered, but he denied me three times. I just want to let you all know I love him, and I have forgiven him. You all need to do the same with each other. You need to learn to love one another and forgive one another. And Jesus showed us that he seeks to restore our broken lives. He knew Peter felt broken. He knew that Peter, listen, he goes, yes, you know that I love you? 60%. He knew he couldn't love Jesus the way he needed to. He felt broken. And Jesus said, I'm here to restore you, Peter. We get broken by our sinful choices, don't we? We get broken by other things that go on around us, by the hands of others. And Jesus says, I want to forgive you. I want to restore you. And he did it publicly, showing others that he can do this. Now, Peter was very right in saying what? Lord, you know everything. Another good observation here, because he does. And despite what God knows about us, he still loves us. Romans 5, 8 says what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God looked down and he saw us messing up. He saw what was going to happen in the future. He knew we were going to be sinners. He goes, while you're still sinning, I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That's my Agape love. That doesn't give us the freedom, though, to do whatever we want. Like, oh, you know what? I can go out and do whatever I want to do, live an unholy life, because i got a holy God who will forgive me. No. Paul even talks about that. We can't get into that, but it's in Romans. When we look at that, it should inspire us and humble us to instead live a holy life in response to God's love for us. Here's the last thing I want to point to in, in the scriptures we're reading through. I'll draw your attention. This is what... Jesus commanded Peter to do after each reply. Because you saw, remember you said, do you love me? Yes, well, feed my lamb. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. We saw Jesus asked the question. We saw the response. But did you see the command? Here's the third thing. Because Jesus could have very easily said, after every reply that Peter made, yes, I love you. He could have very easily said, that's good, Peter. I'm glad you love me. Here's what I want you to do. If you would, just make sure you worship me. Um, if you can, go to the temple, go to a church, go worship, be with other believers. Make sure you read about me and, and sing songs about me and, and just be a good follower. He could have done that with Peter, right? But he didn't say that. Because a lot of us are that way. Oh, I'm forgiven. I've confessed with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm saved, so I'm a Christian. So I'll just, what, go to church, read the Bible, pray, and just do good things. That's not what we're called to do. Beyond that. Beyond that. As our lives are transformed and changed, it's beyond that. You are a Christian. You are forgiven. You are worshiping. You are reading. You are praying, right? 
But there's more. In Luke chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus originally told Peter at that first fishing expedition, he said, after, after he pulled in the fish and he worshipped him and right there in the boat, he's like, Peter, from now on, you're going to be fishing for men. Your, your job, not your following me, is to tell other people about me, to bring them to me. Part of our job as Christians is to evangelize. Not optional. We are to, like Peter, be fishers of men and go tell people about Jesus. That's what we should be doing, right? But it's more than that. He goes, I'm going to help you learn how to share the gospel and I'm going to help you introduce people to me. But now Jesus doesn't want this newly restored Peter just to introduce people to Jesus. He wants Peter to teach those who have been introduced. And what's the prerequisite for serving Jesus right here? Moral perfection? No. If we're waiting for all of us to get perfect morally and make the right choice all the time, none of us will ever serve in a church. None of us will ever serve Christ in any manner or form because none of us are ever morally going to be perfect. There's none of us worthy of serving Jesus. I'm not worthy to be up here right now preaching to you. I'm not. I'm just as sinful as you are. But God's asked me to do something. Feed his sheep. And he asked the same thing of you. Just like he did Peter. As one who's confessed, I've confessed my sins to holy God, and I have to do it often. You know, the prerequisite for serving God is this. I have to love him. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Do you love me, Peter? Then feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. First John chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 18 says this. Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other, but let's show the truth by our action. Let's just stop saying, oh, I love you, I love you. Show it with your action. Do you truly love Jesus? Then serve him. It's the question that was being posed to Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, feed my lamb, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And notice that Jesus says, feed my lambs first, and then feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Because a lamb is what? A lamb is a little one, right? An infant sheep. Many commentators agree that, that Jesus always looked at children as being highly valuable. When the disciples were like, the children would come to Jesus, I was like, no, 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 get away from Jesus. He's like, no, 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 let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. How many times have you read in Scripture that parents, we are supposed to be teaching our children? Children, the youth, are highly valued. It's this, Jesus was starting off with Peter saying, hey, Peter, you let me? Yes, then start teaching the kids. Peter, you love me? Yes. And then, then start teaching everybody else. You know I me? Mean? Yes, keep teaching everybody else. Keep feeding my sheep. Our children's ministry, our youth ministry here, is highly valuable. Never want to neglect that. Any opportunity we have to have a nursery, to have a children's church, to have a Wednesday night youth or children's activities, must be. We cannot neglect that. We cannot neglect just our own teaching at home with our kids. It matters. Serve, serve, serve. Feed those lambs. Feed those sheep. As you read through this scripture, I, I, I love what I'm learning in John 21. I want the worship team to come forward. As they're coming forward, let me, let me just go back to the beginning of this chapter. Let me take you back and re- remind you that a lot of things we try to do on our own, we cannot do on our own. Like those who were fishing, the disciples, trying to catch fish, you can't do it on your own. 
The decisions you need to make, where am I going next? What am I going to do in my life? I don't know. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Where is he asking you to go? Where is he asking you to serve? What is he asking you to do? Then you cast your nets. You go that direction and see how in that obedience he blesses you. And when you realize that Jesus has been calling out to you, then go see him. Go hang out with like the disciples around the fireplace. And be reminded that it's good to have that time with the Lord. And let him remind you how much he loves you. Because we don't feel worthy to be loved at times, do we? We mess up and we make mistakes and we feel like Peter. 60%, that's all I got, right? Jesus, I got 100% love for you. I got agape love for you. Don't ever forget that, Peter. Feed my sheep. I love you. Now go serve me. Do you love me? And serve me. That's what Jesus is asking. You know, as I said earlier, we, we are saved. We are now living in a time in our lives where we're in a spiritual transformation, growing close to the Lord. We are his masterpiece, made with purpose. To live a life of service for his glory, not our glory, his glory. It's a new stage of life. We've, we've graduated from the past. When you see any student walking up and getting their diploma, just think this. I was once lost, but now I am saved. He's given me new life. Now I'm going to go live for him. We're all there. If you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved. It's time for us to move on and start loving him and serving him. Don't discount yourself. Because like at the fire, Jesus sits there and he reminds you, I know you made a mistake. I still love you. You don't feel worthy to be loved. I love you. Let him remind you of that. Would you please stand with me? If you're here this morning, and I've been telling you about this, this new life of Jesus Christ, you're like, ah, I've never made that kind of decision before. Today's a great day to make that decision. If you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, if you've never confessed your sins to a holy God, today's a good day to do that. Ask Him to come into your life and to be the Lord of your life, to, to save you right where you're at. And live a new life, a life transformed as His Spirit is working through you. And you might sit there and think, but I'm not worthy. Peter was following Jesus for three years as a close disciple. and He didn't feel worthy, but Jesus spoke truth into him that day around his buddies and said, no, I love you. And I know you love me. Go live for me. Go serve. Go feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Today might be that day when you just need to confess to holy God. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to come into your life. Start transforming your life. And surrender to him. Live for him. Live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. I thank you, Lord, that we could worship you today. I pray, Lord, that as we've read through your scripture, that we are just filled with truth and a reminder of how awesome it is to know you. Because there are days we just go back to doing what we used to do because we don't know what to do and we try to do things on our own and we fail. And then we hear your voice calling out, telling us what to do. It's in that moment, God, we've got to drop the net come swimming to you and sit with you around the fire and just humbly confess that we've not loved you the way we've needed to love you. But then listen to your words and let us hear that you love us more than anything. God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, the Lamb of God. 
I thank you, Lord, that we can confess our sins to you, a holy God, and you forgive us. I thank you, God, for your spirit that comes into our lives and transforms us and helps us live a new life, a holy life. And, And God, we need your help every single day. Lord, help us right now. If we're supposed to be doing something that we've neglected, we've not obeyed, help us to be obedient. If we're supposed to be serving in a way we've never served before, God, make your spirit move in our hearts and say, I need to serve. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. We're listening. And as we listen, God, we're going to sing to you. We're going to sing to you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.